0: you listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriters. My name is Mark Lintzenmeier. My guest for episode 210 is Matt Piucci. He was one of three singer-songwriters to start Rain Parade in the early 80s, along with brothers Stephen and Dave Roback. You're right now listening to their first single, Matt's composition, What She's Done to Your Mind, from 1982. The following year, that band released a lauded LP called Emergency Third Rail Power Trip. They were active in the California Paisley Underground scene, along with The Bangles, Dream Syndicate, bands like that, After that first EP, Dave Roback, left, Dave eventually ended up as one of the main forces behind Mazzy Star, but Steven and Matt and some other folks continued on recording an EP and then a major label album in 1985 called Crashing Dream, after which they broke up. And Matt will explain what he was doing in the many years beyond that, but very significantly in 1989, Matt released an album as a band member in Crazy Horse ordinarily Neil Young's backing band. So Matt was actually playing the Neil Young guitar role in that group. All right? time passes. He released his first solo album, starting the band The Hellenes, in 2000. Got a project with some other singer-songwriters in 2008 called Boat Club. and another Helenes album. But eventually Rain Parade with Stephen and most of the other original members came back. And they finally, in 2023, released their first LP in 18 years, Last Rays of a Dying Sun, We will talk about the title track from that record. Then look to his previous record, I Love You All the Animals by The Hellenes. We'll listen to the title track to that. Then look all the way back to Rain Parade's Glass Palace EP from 1984. Talk about the song Blue. Finally, we'll hear "A Reason for Living from the self-titled album by Boat Club 2008. For more information, please see rainparade.bandcamp.com. For more about this podcast, see nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. To support the effort, go to patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic, which will give you my notes for the episode. You'll hear all the episodes ad free, and you'll help ensure that this podcast continues to be made. So I will have played a little bit of What She's Done to Your Mind by Rain Parade, the 1982 debut single to orient folks. We're going to get very quickly to the new stuff, but I guess give us a picture of the shape of this that you guys had a couple albums back in the day there, and then did a bunch of other projects. And only now, at this point, what, you've been touring though for a decade again with Rain Parade?
1: Is that right? Building up to this? Well, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. About 2012, a little before that, Stephen Roback didn't live in the Bay Area. I'm not sure when he moved exactly. It was well after the millennium. And we weren't in the same town. We couldn't work together. That's not... We, we had... You know, we did some stuff in, in addition to Rain Parade. We did Viva Saturn in the 90s and the 2000s, the Hellenes. And then the impetus was a friend of ours got hurt badly in a car accident. A guy from the Windbreakers, Bobby Sutliff, who sadly passed a year or so ago. Long story short, we were being asked to play in Atlanta because other bands had started to do that. Steve Wynn had resurrected Dreams and had played down there. And a guy named Chris Chandler had been talking to me about playing down there. Once we had done this song for Bobby... We decided to play down there because he got well enough to play. So we did go, you know, we fired up the band, got a new drummer. Unfortunately, Gil Ray, who also passed, great drummer from North Carolina. He uh, joined and then so we had this thing. Now it was up and going again. And so we played a few gigs around the Bay Area and that was fun. And we were really stunned, frankly, by the reception. You know, I suppose if we'd have played and no one cared, we wouldn't have continued, but we were really surprised to learn that there were at least a couple iterations of psychedelic groups between us in the 80s and that time. And uh, a lot of people showed up and we were very flattered and humbled and we're like, hey, well, why not? And then we learned that the three o'clock as well as the bangles were also out there doing stuff. We did a couple shows with all four bands to recreate a show from October of 1982 when all four of us played together. And, you know, the label that people attached to that group, which, you know, whatever, it's a label, and it has some basis in fact. So we played those guys, and there was a total blast. There was a zillion people there. Never had played the Film Orange San Francisco. It was a great show. We really enjoyed it. And then and we started talking about doing something else, and the idea of each of the four bands doing one of the other band's songs and putting it on an album, which I'm pretty sure I've never heard anyone do before, so that kind of got our juices flowing. At the same time, I was finishing up this Helene's album, and we'd reconnected with Jim Hill, who was our producer back in the day. He even really wasn't dialed into the Helene's recording, but he did show up, and we really enjoyed it. We got going on the 3 by 4 thing when we did a Bangles and a Dream Syndic 3 o'clock song, so Then our juices were flowing in terms of recording. That was probably 2017 or 18. Stephen and I started working together a little more, and we started to go through the stuff that we'd had lying around. He and I worked together a lot and some new stuff, and we realized, man, we could probably go record. And then the pandemic hit, and that afforded us the opportunity to have a little downtime and think about things and work together. Kind of missed the pandemic, frankly. Not the sickness, but the quiet. We asked Jim if he would do it, and he said yes, so we kind of did the whole thing on our own, and then lo and behold, our record executive, who signed us in 1983, resurfaced, and he's like, I have a new label, and I want you guys to be on it, and we're like, really? He's like, yeah, so that would be Bill Hine, who owned uh, Enigma Records. He had a new partner, Andy Sicklin, and they're with Label 51, and they're... Wonderful guys. For reasons I can't explain, they love our band and they've been super supportive. So now I actually also retired from my 30 year day job about two years ago, and that allowed me to really dive into this. That's where we are right now. Um, We're looking forward to playing. We're doing a nine show West Coast tour with this band called Third Mind, who's great, sort of super group with Dave Alvin and uh, Jesse Sykes, and they're cool. I mean, that's not what I would expect from Dave Alvin, but it's, it's cool. I've seen them. They're really good. And then we're going to be off to uh, Europe in June. And we also are working with this label to re-release all of our old stuff because none of it is out anymore. And, you know, we look on Discogs and there are these absurd prices for some of our stuff, which had been reissued about four or five years ago. But those are all sold out, too. So we're hopefully going to have our whole catalog out there next year, plus some new stuff. Plus some bonus tracks from a couple of eras. So yeah, we got a lot going on and that's where we are now.
0: We can return to the old days near the end of the interview here. But uh so last rays of the dying sun, the, the title track from that new record, can you say a few words about it and then we'll play it and then we'll talk in more detail?
1: Well I started working on that with the Hellenes and we were doing it and I wanted to use the same sort of R that I used on No Easy Way Down, which is that sort of vibrato trippy, hypnotic thing, but not to bore you with musical detail, but... This is what this podcast
0: is, so please, yes.
1: Well, Noisy Way Down is kind of minor, even though it has a, some major in it, too. It's, I wanted to do something that was a little more uplifting and major, so I kind of applied that principle to a major key, and it has the same sort of apocalyptic lyrical perspective. It's It's kind of dark, but we got going on that, and then as always when I work with Steven, who's my songwriting partner, a long time ago, we realized that by the time that each of us is through with something, it really is our thing, not any individual thing. So we just split everything. And he kind of dove in and he's sort of my lyrical consultant. and He dusted up some of the lyrics that he thought, you know, he made them better for sure. And then I had a very underdeveloped second section to the song and he dove in and Pretty that up, wrote some cool words and he ends up singing it. We did that a lot this time where we share vocals. I kind of like that where there's more than one vocalist, you know, like, uh, you know, wooden ships or something like that, where you have multiple vocalists, just kind of a cool perspective, you know, and then Jim Hill, who's our producer and is basically in the band, at least when it comes to like the actual recording, he will get there and we'll write the song. We'll have it fleshed out and we have some pretty strong ideas and he'll get in there and he always has good ideas and he'll help us realize it and he'll always come up with something crazy in the studio that we would never be able to do. And that's what he did. while to convince them that that's what we should call the record, Stephen kind of thought it was a little dark. I liked it. Kind of a twist on the Jimi Hendrix, it's a live record, New Rays of a Morning Sun or whatever. It felt like that was kind of where we're at in our world today. One thing that's weird for me personally is that like when... World sucks. I seem to be doing great. <laughs> when I'm in the shit, or the world's okay. But I mean, I'm doing great now, and then the world doesn't seem to be doing so great. So we felt that that was a cool title to use. I guess that's about it. It's got a ton of stuff on it. We got a friend of the Peterson sisters who was, I think, their parents' doctor to play little tablas, and then we've got a lot of instruments on that. Plus, we also have this new guy, Derek C. I mean, Stephen, myself, and John Thoman have been. John Thoman's been in Rain Parade since. The summer of 1984, we did one EP and the tour without as a four piece. And then it just, we like two guitars. It really is kind of where we're at. I knew him since, I mean, shit, he was in a band with David Roback and I when we were in college back in the day. So he slid right in. David I referred to him as the David Gilmore of Rainford, which I think was actually kind of appropriate. But anyway, we got this other guy who we'd met and Eric C. He's a, he's a great musician and he was kind of a professional roadie as well, as a lot of people have to do. And then he worked for us, and then he started to play a little bit with the Hellenes, and then he ended up recording with the Hellenes, and he insinuated himself because he's, he really gets what we're trying to do. There's no need to explain it to him. So we have a third Wicked Guitar player, and that Mills dolo is blazed right through it. Uh, I was really impressed. So he's been a boon to the group.
0: This is great to get a real sense of where the band is at and how you're thinking of things. So, yeah, just to get into some of the musical details here, you mentioned the intro whammy bar riff. Does this come together as an arrangement with the multiple guitars with, you're saying, three guitarists now? Or are you, as the lead guy, sort of mapping out in general what's going to happen and then people add whatever they want during the recording?
1: It's kind of both of those things. Obviously, I can only play one guitar at a time. And we'd been playing this in the Hellenes a little bit, which John was in. And John has that waterfall, Leslie kind of guitar thing that, that's in there. He doesn't play lead on this. Well, I mean, lead, whatever. He plays a, a nice line in the verses.
0: Those answering, those da 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 that's the Leslie thing you're talking about.
1: He goes da 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 And then there's, I play some lead in between verses, and then Jim has some backwards stuff. Yeah, there's a, there, there's an answer to the vocal that's that sort of watery Leslie guitar. That's John. And then I was going to do all the lead in the middle. Derek had just played the organ on it, which we've had the organ on it for a while. A couple of different. No, wait. No, that's Mark Hanley. My buddy, Mark Hanley from the Hellenes. He played the organ and he already knew that part. So that Hammond part was in there. And Derek plays that live now. and. I was at my friend, Jack Waterston, who's from Green on Red. and a dear friend I met millions of years ago. We were jamming at the store, and Derek was there, and we did this song, and Jack was on drums, and Derek was playing guitar, and I just kind of looked at him, and he just went, wham, and I'm like, holy smokes. Okay, dude, you are going to do that, at least the first half of it, and then I did the other. So with both of these guys, uh, both Derek and Sean, they're both outstanding guitar players, and they have a wide breadth of, sounds and vintage instruments they use it's an embarrassment of riches there's just ridiculous amounts of cool old guitars between the three of us and that's usually how that works i mean i'll write something either by myself or with steven and then steven will do a bass part that's kind of what rain parade is it's me playing Mike Ratch, steven playing bass guitar now not every song is done that way but that's kind of like the core of where it's at Steven has a really unusual style of bass, and then that Gretsch is kind of an unusual sound. So, I mean, say what you will about it, but I, I do think that we have something that is fairly unique and identifiable as a sound. I think that's really important. And then John and Derek, they're so talented, they just dive in and come up with whatever. You know, sometimes I'll give them some guidance, but most of the time it's just them doing their thing.
0: Yeah, let me play a little bit. This is a guitar solo in the middle. There's some kind of weird fireworky noises when this starts. So the soul itself
1: is that that's John playing that one? We do this sometimes one of us or both of us, or in this case John. Just played a lot of what they call wild stuff. By wild that means there's no one's playing anything. He's just fucking around on guitar, making crazy noises. And that's Jim taking a little piece of that and throwing it in there. I don't think we even had that song in mind at that time. We just knew that if we you know, they we were gonna be play that's that's the genius of Jim Hill. He we knew that if we had just stuff lying around that we could use, little guitar fragments. He would find a place to put it, and that kind of sounds like a rocket going off, which we thought was really important. But that solo that's there, the first half—that's Derek. He just wailing.
0: So then, uh, at around three ten, it sounds like somebody else takes over. Let's hear the beginning of this. Yeah, this sort of reminds me of television. That you know, back and forth, you
1: were saying that you were a fan of theirs. Yeah, huge. They're the sort of American yardbirds, if you will. Even the yardbirds didn't really play off of each other the way television does. So maybe that's, that's a limited analogy, but they're both Lloyd and Verlaine are both tremendous guitar players. Remember, I think that whole East Coast eighties sound, if like the trio for me would be Lloyd and then, uh, Robert Quine and even Elliot Easton from the cars, He's a tremendous guitar player. Those guys, and of course Verlaine, those guys. They are the uh, Mount Rushmore of 70s and 80s East Coast guitar.
0: Well, as opposed to Neil Young, who I will have told people in the intro that you, at least one of the places on the web was saying that when Crazy Horse, at least during this one period, would do these shows without Neil Young, then you were, guitar-wise, sort of the Neil Young stand-in. Young Neil. Okay. Or Neil Light or whatever, sure. Which that seems... I really love his guitar style as well, but it's very diametrically opposed to the L8 Easton. Like, every lick is memorable. It just seems much more screaming, you know, atmospheric.
1: Well, sure. Yeah, they're both. I really like the cars. But, I mean, Neil is sort of, that is more ancient with me since when I was a kid. Sure. I mean, if you had told me when I was a kid, you know, stuff happens in life when you don't care anymore. If you had told me when I was a kid that I was going to play with Crazy Horse and hang out with Neil Young, I would have, like, But, you know, as always, by the time you don't care, (laughs) that's when things happen. You know, I've hung out with him a little bit, smoked a little weed with him, been to some weddings and funerals with him, played very little because obviously he's got his own thing. But Billy and Ralph are dear, dear friends. Recorded a lot with Billy. Anyway, yeah, Neil, big influence
0: looking at the bridge in this, you mentioned getting people to co- come and play the tablas. So you had actual sitars lying around or is this like an affected guitar to sound like a sitar?
1: No, it, it's a couple of things. I mean, I did play to sitar and I mean, I'm a very bad sitar player, but I get a sound out of it. So I, I did play sitar and there's a few tracks of that. And to be honest with you, I found this app on the web that's like, it's this cool Indian music app. You can pick the key and you can pick, Tabla or, you know, you can pick all these Indian instruments and it just goes. So it's more of a drony thing. And I sent that to Jim and he used that too. Plus there's tabla on there. There's also this Stefan Hunka, who's the drummer uh, and percussionist. He's every bit the percussionist that he is a drummer. He, God, he must play a dozen different things on this record. At least it's not a tabla. It's, I forgot the name of it. I'm not even, I think it's African. It's, it's like ceramic and it's got a couple of small holes on it. And it said boop, boop kind of sound. So yeah, there's a bunch of percussion on there and he, Stefan plays almost all of it. Jim plays a little bit.
0: Hey, let's stop for an ad break. I don't know if you've been listening to my other recent episodes, but I've been telling you about Songfinch, a service where you commission a personalized song by human beings so you can create the perfect gift for say valentine's day coming up they gave me a chance to try out the service and i said hey why don't you actually write this commercial for me in the style of weezer so here is part of that song going into some of the details that i provided referencing my editor tyler Referencing the fact that I referencing the fact that I had one of the bare naked ladies booked for this show and he canceled on me. Referencing how I far too often point out, oh, there's a tambourine that comes in, in this part of the song.
2: All I like personal things to make your heart glow. Say something like, hey Tyler, you know. And soffance is the real deal, nothing shady. We're nothing like the bare naked ladies. I can go deep to philosophical Every song doesn't have to be light and comical So fill out a giant form like Mark did And I can do things like putting a tambourine in the chorus With something you can give
3: original
2: songs To your partner, friend, enemy, anyone For any occasion or just because Filled with inside jokes, filled with love. So check out songfinch.com and order your very own original song.
0: For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song on Spotify for free. So you can listen to your new favorite song anywhere you go. Go to songfinch.com slash N-E-M and start your song After your purchase, you will be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free. That's a $50 value. This offer is only available for listeners at my special URL, songfinch.com slash N-E-M. At songfinch.com slash N-E-M. Don't wait, get started now. Yeah, any thought about your choice to end in that way as opposed to some explosion or, or fade out or any other number of
1: I think I just sort of sang it that way, and that's what we used. I, I didn't really think about that. But you can hear at the very end, you can hear that, that's that little app. And then I forgot, Tim made some of the, like, there's something that goes, I, I can't really... Tell you what it is. It just kind of goes like that. That's not my guitar. Uh huh. That's something that Jim had that he made up. I think we credited him. There's a great Eno credit once called treatments and manipulations. Yeah. You know, he'll grab stuff from either the song or somewhere else and turn it around or upside down or whatever. So yeah, he's huge, man. He really helps us. Really round this stuff out.
0: Well, you credited him just a minute ago on the backwards guitar solo that starts things off.
1: He didn't play it. Sure. Found it.
0: Okay. So that was not recorded for this song. It was not like, you know, you used to very easily be able to turn the tape over and hey, play a solo there and you know what you're playing to as opposed to.
1: Right. It's a little different with digital. You can't do it that way, which is too bad because it does. It is easier to do, but I think. That backward stuff is something that I played later on in the song. Okay. It's either my lead lines or it's Derek's, but he grabbed it, flipped it over, and put it in the front, too. So, I mean, we do a lot of that stuff. We like to mess around in the studio to really help achieve that sort of hypnotic effect that we're after.
0: You know, with digital, of course you could do anything. And so, you know, it's not that hard to grab a piece of a half mixed song, create a new file, reverse it, play against that, and then import that. But that's so many more steps than merely twisting the knob to slow things down or to reverse the tape or whatever. You know, what we used to do, even, even with my four track where like I had the knob. So I would do the strawberry fields thing. With the vocals, making it more Chipmunky or whatever. The
1: thing about now is that you can speed stuff up and slow it down without changing the pitch, which is nice because everything is digital is actually a series of pictures. You know, it's forty four point one shots. Well, if you want to make it slower, then you just like you add every one or whatever, and then you slow it down or you take them out, and it sounds the same, but you know the speed changes. It's not like you know. I knew this at the record plant once. Stone's asking, we want the same key, but we want it slower. So he need to, like, take two 24-track machines and harmonize it down. It was crazy. He did it, and then they're like, oh, thanks, but we're not going to use it. He said it took him, like, three days, but hey, he got paid. But, yeah, now it's a lot easier.
0: Let's get the second song out there. The title track to I Love You All the Animals, the 2017 album by the Hellenes that you mentioned. Say a couple words about this before we hear it. This is a longer tune. Six minutes, it's not in the jangle pop genre. It is a different thing. Yeah, say a little about why this one.
1: First of all, that record is basically all the guys who are on this Rain Parade record, except for Steven. So everybody who's in on that is in on the Rain Parade record, so you can kind of see how it, there's a lot of similar things going on. To be honest that started out as a joke. We were playing back in the day. I think we were in Santa Clara or something. This is in the 80s. Jim, he was our sound guy, and some young lady came up to him and handed him a note, and it said, the note, "Je t'aime tous les animaux," which means I love you all the animals. We thought it was hilarious. I think that was her way of saying, "Hey, how you doing?" <laughs> and then many, many years later, as the same joke, I started out, "What you hear is the beginning," and I wanted to do something a little severity, where it had like a lot of space and those weird chromatic chord changes. And then I did it. Kind of as a joke. And then I listened back to it. I'm like, "Wait a second, man! This is pretty freaking cool." Then it became this other thing—a love letter to Mother Earth, to the animal kingdom, who we don't always treat with the respect it deserves. And then, uh, you know, we were off and running. So I had that little tidbit up front. Not sure it was it wasn't even a four track. I think it just sang it into my phone, and we sort of laid that down. That's not what's there, but we laid it down so I would have it. And then I redid it. Really like the way it turned out. It kind of has that older rain parade feel with a lot of stops in it. It's got the kind of motion like an hour and a half ago does, if you're familiar with rain parade. And that's sort of abrupt, non, I guess it's more modal, where it slides down a step or a half step or something like that. And then all the pieces came together, and there you go. There you have it. It's got a number of sections. It's got that first section, and then uh, I wrote a couple other sections and we were off and running.
0: I assume that the sound effects came last. Is that with the sheep and the...
1: Oh, yeah. After that, I'm like, Jim, we got to get some some animals on there. And he's like, yeah. So we listened to a bunch of sheep, ended up sounding the coolest. There's some cows on there and some sheep. And I also, since it was, the original thing was in French, I wanted to get a woman to sing the lyrics in French. I think C's ex-wife, Angeline King, came in and did a really good job on that. But one of the things I always liked about Michel, the song by the Beatles, is when he says, qui vont très bien ensemble." that is exactly what it means in English. These are words that go together well. So I'm like, okay, let me see if I can translate it into French and then sing it. And it works too, even though this is a little simpler. So I did that.
0: In terms of the musicality, I mean, I like you were talking about Sid Barrett as an influence for that acoustic, that initial chromatic going up. But then we have the I'm so sorry, this big, I don't know, late Beatles-y kind of, do you have any any idea where that came from?
1: No, Outer Space, uh, who knows where stuff comes from, I just heard it in my head, and I actually I sung the guitar riff into a phone, and I also had my buddies, Brent Rademacher from Beach Sparks and Gospel Beach, and, and Nelson Bragg, we used to play with Brian Wilson, they came in and sang on that too, got a big old full chorus with those guys, but the I'm sorry, because frankly, we owe the animals an apology. <laughs>
0: sure sure
1: i don't know where that sort of kind of wishbone ash heavy metal thing whatever the hell that is that's not heavy metal it is kind of late beatles now that you mentioned who knows i don't know not my place to categorize
0: you know i was kind of listening to this through the lens of you said so is jody stevens is not playing on this track or is he he did something on this album you were saying
1: yes it's this old song uh that actually rain Parade used to do called i'm so depressed okay the one right after this yeah yeah, my buddy Alec Palau, he had done a lot of work at Arden. He said, Hey, you want to go down to Arden and record this song with Jody Stevens? And I'm like, yes. So uh, that's not the song you brought up, but went down there and went to Arden and John Fry was there and he set up the drums before Mike's. <laughs> and I used Chris Bell's guitar to do that song because Chris Bell and Alec are in that song. I mean, I didn't write it thinking, Hey, I'm going to go to Arden and play that with Jody Stevens, but there you go. I got to do that. Really sweet guy. He's like the Southern Ringo.
0: Because of that, I was sort of initially listening to this song through the lens of like Big Star Third or something, which I guess is sort of a variation of the Sid Barrett thing, that I'm so messed up that I'm going to sing in this high, very thin thing, and it's going to be sort of out of control. But clearly, as you said, even though it's using some of the gestures of like, this is a mentally deranged ballad, no, it's just a fun song.
1: It would have been on this record had I not already done a pretty good job, but there it is. It's on the Helene's record. I'm very proud of that record, I think. Personally, I think it's as good as the last Rain Parade record, but what do I know?
0: I guess I need to listen as a whole through the new Rain Parade record. For, for the most part, certainly the song we talked about, they all seem in the general jangle psychedelic that there's a particular sound that Rain Parade has that this song does not. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Maybe I've just read this wrong, that you went fully to these extremities, at least in the old days, that I Love All the
1: Animals is doing here. Who knows? I mean, I'm the same <laughs> guy. I mean, I'm not a different person. I'm not Neil Young, like Balinese reggae album followed by, <laughs> you know, Gregorian chants or whatever. It's all kind of, you know, Big Star and Bid and the Beatles and anything. That, you know, Barrett, Beatles, Big, anything that begins with a B, I'm good.
0: <laughs> with Rain Parade. So am I right in reading that that was already the brothers had set that up. So they kind of had the style. This is what I heard about Big Star as far as Alex Chilton was going, you know, that we're going to do this Brit pop thing. And Alex Chilton, whose you know, 1970 album does not particularly sound like that, was like, okay, I can operate in this environment. Was that kind of how you were entering Rain Parade, that they had, like, this is the style that we're doing, which was not necessarily your style?
1: am not sure exactly what you mean, but I think that with Big Star, that was, Big Star started out as Chris Bell's band, and then, I mean, that first record is very different from Big Star 3rd, and the, the genius of Big Star 3rd, oh, well, there's obviously, it's, it's Alex, but I've listened to some of those multi-tracks And Jim Dickinson really picked the good stuff out of there that made it into what it was. As far as, you know, the formation of Rain Parade went, David Roback and I, when we met in 1975, shortly after that, within a couple of years, we we knew we were going to have a band and we didn't know where or when, but we knew we were going to do it. And then in 81, I finally moved out there and then we just started working together on On this stuff, and we knew that it was going to have a more '60s bent because by that time punk was just. Even though we enjoyed punk, is a really bad word because the only punk to me really was England. The stuff from New York—that's a terrible word for that because none of it is really punk. It was original songwriting with a bunch of different cool bands doing different things. I mean, Television, Talking Heads, Blondie, The Ramones, none none of those people sound really to what I would call punk. Their modes were like, you know, the Beach Boys on Glue or whatever. So anyway, David and I and Stephen, Steven showed up within weeks after I got to LA. We spent a good year trying to figure out what we wanted to sound like. So we had influences that you mentioned; those were all in there.
0: Geez, I'm wondering if I should f- do a couple more sections from this epic that we just heard before we. Here, I'll play the. I'll play the end again. Okay, just that we're going to end in a big ball of psychedelic
1: chaos. Yeah, that was like, especially at the very end, Nelson Bragg, uh, the guy was telling me he plays a lot of percussion on that. Nelson, just throw your stuff up in the air and let it hit the floor. So that's what that is. <laughs> yeah. If you're talking about the sort of outro that one is to say, love you, that stuff that was, um, I think, listening to Transformer might have informed that that song, Perfect Day, which is my favorite Lou Reed song. It's kind of that. So, well, you know, everybody steals and, you know, you get an amalgam of, of all that stuff. But I think that's where I got that from. Although the way Lou would do it is a little different. But I think that ending was kind of inspired by that song.
0: You have some interesting chord changes in there. This, uh, what you're calling the outro happens. We settle onto the expected chord, and then the second time it does something else.
1: A major where you would expect a minor. Yeah. Uh, what you're talking about is where John Pilman plays that beautiful slide guitar there. It's just weepy slide guitar. The last chord, you kind of expect a minor chord, and it goes major. Yeah. <laughs> C to G to B flat. That was fun.
0: Well, let's uh, go on to the third song. We I said we were going to go back in time. Let's go back in time. So you let me pick one song here without a veto. Blue from the Explosions in the Glass Palace EP, 1984. I just love the guitar interplay on this. Again, it sounds like three guitars, and they do the dueling solo thing over the rhythm during the breaks. Do you want to say a little about this before?
1: That's all just me, though. Oh, okay. I mean, I play two different guitars. played like my grad, also a Jaguar. Thank you. Fender Jaguar. That's sad origin. I was working at a, uh, when I moved to Los Angeles, I got a job at a car dealership on Santa Monica Boulevard, and I was working in the, when people would done with their cars, to come up and pay you, and there was this gal there named Charlotte, great gal, turned me on to a thriller, first time i ever heard that, and then one day she didn't show up. It's like, where the hell's Charlotte? And then they found her in the trunk of a car about a week later, and that was really really upsetting so uh, I not really, I was working on the music by myself and I figured well okay let's let's write one for her, it's kind of from the perspective of her mother who I never met I tried to find out later if the case was solved because I worked in law enforcement for a long time but I, I never could find out anything so I don't know what the hell happened to her really great gal, really positive sad story, so there she is in that song
0: Yeah. So such a nice song for such a a miserable topic, I guess. It's just such a catchy little thing
1: here. Well, that's what music does for you. It's probably why I'm still relatively sane. You got to get that stuff out somehow. Other people seem to like it. That song's been covered a few times, which was uh, very humbling and inspiring. This band from Boston called uh, Buffalo Town. Yeah. Great band. And then there's a band from England called the Blue. Tones or blue notes. I can't remember. Uh, They did it too. So that's very cool. Think enough of it to do it themselves. That's very flattering. It's pretty straightforward. You know, it's funny. That's kind of the more American side of that record. I don't think the English are that crazy about it. It's not exactly country rock. I wouldn't call it that, but it it has a little bit more of that feel. It's not so overtly trippy as some of the other stuff.
0: I would say jangle pop, right? That is what they often call. Stuff like this, that's sort of Americana. Yeah,
1: with a little Neil. Neil Very
0: jangly. That's such a catchy rhythm guitar just to go back and forth between those two chords. is just, that's very magnetic by itself, even before you add the overlaying stuff.
1: I'm glad you liked it. Play that song a lot. I probably played that song more than any other song. I never really stopped playing it, no matter what band I was in. Pretty easy to teach people and it goes over well. And so there, I still do it.
0: We haven't really talked about your philosophy of when to include. Harmonies like in this one, you know, it's got some nice punctuation on just a couple places. Do you just sort of leave that to, I guess, steven in this case of, of when he feels like chiming in, or is this something that you have definite ideas about when you write the lead?
1: No, that just sort of comes. I can't remember whether that's Stephen or me or both of us. I probably is both of us in different spots, but on this particular song, we liked the sparseness of it. And then there were some lyrical moments that. It was a good idea to enhance with that additional vocal. I think that is Steven. I, you know what? I don't freaking remember. I'd have to go back and look <laughs> or listen to it.
0: It sounds like I was so confused. I thought I had finally figured out which was your voice and which was Stevens, and then you said, "Oh, let's do Last Rays of the Dying Sun." I'm like, but but that I don't think that's. <laughs> and now you've you know you've enlightened me that oh it's okay that you mostly song. I do sing
1: all the verses, but that middle section when he goes, turn down. Sorry to switch back to the other. Yeah, that was fine. (laughs) Turn down the sounds of things that bring you down. That's Okay, gotcha. All right. Well, so I do. I'm not hallucinating that your voice was... No, no. We did that on two or three songs on that most recent record where there's one where we even go line by line back and forth. That acoustic song, we went back and forth line by line.
0: Well, that's always fun to, to establish. I always, of course, like on the Beatles albums, they would actually write who Oh, this is, this one has Paul with John and George singing harmonies so that the, you know, it was, but it's really focusing on the personalities so that, you know, that's what makes it a group is, oh, if you don't have all those personalities there, Rain Parade, it seems like such a collaborative, like, this is the sound of the band, but yet you're still doing this back and forth. I don't know. Is there any sort of a... the thing
1: we always liked about Pink Floyd, I mean, you know, we got faces for radio and none of us are really great singers. So the thing that was cool about Pink Floyd is like, who's pink? I mean, yes, when Sid was there, there was a definite lead singer, but once it was gone and I, you know, it used to be like with me, it's like, Oh, only the Sid shit is great. But I don't feel that way anymore. I I love Sid, but some of that early stuff is really, frankly, kind of stupid. And some of the later stuff is fabulous. So, I mean, I, I like all their stuff. But as they progressed, when you think of them, you don't really think of a lead singer. They don't have, like, you know, that Mick Jagger, Iggy Pop sort of front guy. It's kind of like all one thing. And that's sort of what Rain Parade was. Never really had a lead singer. And it may be part of the reason why David Roback wasn't in the band. One thing it was like three songwriters. is really hard to do.
0: Sure, sure. That's a lot of
1: ego suppression for young people. <laughs> he was, uh, he sang Three songs at Rain Parade, and then he was right. off doing his own thing. Not that he wasn't super important. He was super important in terms of, you know, organizing and seething the band in terms of the sound and image and all that those stuff. Anyway, you didn't ask me that, but...
0: Well, no, but that's why I asked you earlier about, like, was this a sound that the brothers had worked out that you walked into? Because I could hear a lot of this. I actually... Richard Wright's voice in particular that just this everybody sings very thin and we all kind of sound the same, as opposed to your actual voice, you know, hearing in, like, even back in the this Gone Fishing album that you did with Tim Lee, you know, where you, you hear, like, no, you actually have a very meaty voice, but that it sounds like at least you know, that everybody was going to kind of sing in, in that first album, so you can't really tell, at least I can't tell at this point who is singing lead on what.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Part of it is because The Tim Lee thing is is an aberration for me personally. I mean, that was, Rainfrey was such an impressionistic band Mm -hmm. as opposed to an expressionist band like Gone Figure. I think some of it's good, some of it's awful. Most of the good stuff is Tim's anyway. That is absolutely antithetical to the way we approach Rainfrey. We don't do the expressionist thing. It's more um, calculated and thought out. Not that we don't leave room for improvisation, but it's pretty prearranged. None of us had that great of voices anyway. So maybe I can sing louder than those guys. I certainly can sing louder than Steven. And it's kind of unfortunate. David never really sang again. He did a little bit in Opal, and then he had lead singers, and that was it.
0: I will refer folks to, there's some live footage of you guys from, I think it's more like in the 1985, so it's Crashing Dream, your second album that was on an actual label, so you were getting more, good videotapes of gigs and things like that.
1: Right. There's some stuff at the, uh, yeah, the BBC did this stuff and came and filmed us. And then we did some stuff in the studio with the BBC. So that's probably what you see. I don't think there's any film of the original rain parade that I know.
0: of. Yeah. Do you want to fill in a little of the the story as we wrap up here of, so you record the first album with, with your three singers, then you're down to two guitarists for this, this little EP And then from what I read about, you know, that there's a reason, you know, the Crashing Dream is the label debut, then later you release this collection, Demolition, which is all the stuff that you wanted to do on the, am I right that there was something disappointing about, like, we have a label, but now they're telling us what to do, and it didn't, the band broke up after that point.
1: You know, that that is part of the truth. I think we made a mistake in signing with a major label, frankly, although there were some definite benefits from it or at least with them, they didn't really know what they had. They didn't understand us in the way that Bill from Enigma, and which is why now it's so cool to be back with him because he mm. gets it. And he's, he's our president again. He wanted Jim Hill to record that record, and we wanted him to, but the label had other ideas, and they wouldn't let us use Jim. The guy that we got, he was a nice man, but he didn't get it. And I, I don't really like production on that record. I mean, that's as much, I'm not blaming somebody else. It's our record. So we were partying through it as well. And then the demolition thing, that was in part what you were talking about, but also we'd seen so many bootlegs out there. And we're like, you know what? We're going to do that. We're just going to get everything we have and we're going to put it out. So uh, it was a combination of eight tracks that we did as da- demos for the Crash and Dream album, but also a bunch of other stuff. There are some songs that we never recorded, and there are some songs that we did record that we liked the demo version better. And I think at least sometime next year, we're going to get a crashing dream that is a little bit more like what we had intended in the first place. It might be a combination of all that stuff. So that is one thing about that we're excited about for next year is kind of re releasing these things in a sort of a a new perspective, a reimagined dream, if you will.
0: And just in terms of the intervening years, keeping it going, is it just that you know, this is around. You know, when you were no longer on the label, and the, that band broke up. That that's when you kind of became the day job,
1: doing stuff occasionally. Or is no, not really. I mean, it, it ran its course, and I was married and wanted to start a family, and I went back to school, and that's when Stephen was doing Viva Saturn, and, and I helped him a lot to varying degrees in the beginning, not much, and then later a lot because it's easy to record or find time to record as opposed to like going out and tour right so yeah the late 90s and my son was born in 94 so a lot of the 90s was spent getting a career together and setting things up for my family and i did record and then i started doing the Helene's at the end of the 90s and it took me basically <laughs> 10 years to put out a record which i did so I kept busy but uh You know, rain parade ran its course. It's you know nothing terrible happened. Nobody did anything to us. It's just what it was. Sure, no
0: longer young people, and now as a retired person, so this is so great to just to be able to do you know another however many more trips around the uh, as you said when we started that you're touring and able to you know reconnect with all these people.
1: Well, according to the insurance company, uh, when I was uh, evaluating some some stuff, they said I have twenty one point seven more years to live. So. (laughs) <laughs> that puts me at about 87, so I'm good.
0: Is there another, do you have material for, or is there even some of the stuff from like, you know, 84 or whatever that didn't get on that might come back on the next full Rain Parade album?
1: This next year is going to see there will be some, can't really say exactly because of proprietary issues, but there will be material that is unheard by most from a couple of different eras. Plus, we continue to work on writing songs. I was just walking along trying to think of some lyrics. for. So we're going to probably be in the studio after this tour. Something will come out before the tour of Europe in June. Maybe only a few new ones. And we fully intend to put out another LP next year, which probably won't happen until the end of next year. But we're working on it. We got a lot of stuff.
0: All right. Well, hopefully I can connect with Stephen for that one. So we can, (laughs) you had initially asked, Oh, should you want us both on here? And I've done some of that before, but I do like to. Well, for instance, let's, uh, we're going to say goodbye by introducing a song from this album by a band called Boat Club. (laughs) Oh, sweet. Uh, you had picked Reason for Living, which is another song that's kind of like the I Love All the Animals, just in terms of it's, you know, it's not another jangle thing. It's, it's a little more extreme. Yeah. Do you want to say a little about? this project, and this song before we say goodbye here?
1: This is like the 2000s, and I'd already done one Helene's record. Mm -hmm. And I started to play out live in the Bay Area. I hadn't done that in a while and ran into a couple of really good musicians. And like an idiot, not having learned my lesson with three songwriters, had a band with two other songwriters. And that was a tough one to get out, that record. But we did. Probably put out too many songs.
0: So that's Mark Hanley was the third one, and, and this was with Stephen, or this was not with
1: Stephen? No, no, no Stephen's not in it. It's Mark Hanley is a dear friend, uh, and a guy named Tommy Carnes, who's a great songwriter, and he's down in L.A. now. He plays in a band called The Brothers Jonathan. Great singer. And uh, his stuff is really great. And then uh, I had a few songs, and some of them... I like some of them I'm not crazy about, but this one in particular, I really, really like this song. I think musically, it's very interesting and full. It has some great chord changes. And it's funny, my, at the time, my son, who's like 11, the first line of the song, I mentioned what I was doing to a friend, and he comes up with this line. He goes, yesterday was such a great day, and now it's back to the sad. I'm like, what did you just say? You're 11 years old, man. What the hell is that? So I wrote that down and <laughs> That became uh, the lyrics. Uh, that one I really like a lot.
0: I'd recommend the whole album. I like albums like the White Album or whatever. Where there's just lots of sprawling and <laughs> competing egos, or I, I don't know. There's just no. a some lot of that stuff, stuff is going really on. Really good.
1: I wish we could remix it, but hey, whatever. You know, it, it's it's. Uh, we didn't have a guy like Jim Hill then, and we had we it probably would sound a lot better. But some of that stuff's really cool. It was done on a shoestring, but we got it out there, and I'm proud of a lot of it i think tom and mark are both great songwriters and then stefan hunka is the drummer too he's been playing with me since then and with billy talbot and so did tom and all those guys in boat club ended up playing with billy talbot so big old incestuous was a pile all right well thanks so much for doing this i appreciate it very much uh thank you for the for your thoughtful attention and it's very humbling to have people still want to hear this stuff
0: <laughs> all right here's reason for living Thanks so much to Matt. His audio was a little sketchy toward the end there. He actually did the whole interview while on a walk and he kept seeing people on the street that he knew or that had the sweatshirt from his alma mater that he would talk to for a minute. So you didn't get to hear that part. Anyway, Matt is a very fun guy. Check out that new Rain Parade album. It is excellent. You can find most of Matt's work at rainparade.bandcamp.com, including some things that we didn't talk about, like a Christmas single that he recorded in 2021, a song he wrote for a project called Fur, and there's multiple live Rain Parade albums. So this interview was recorded back in December. I recorded two interviews in January, one with Louis Michaud, who is a Cajun fiddler. He sings in French. He's won a Grammy. He's up for another Grammy. Very talented guy. And then just this week, I spoke to Graham Parker, someone who I listened to quite a bit of in college. I saw him live while in grad school in the 90s. And I didn't realize until I was preparing for this one how much he influenced my own songwriting. And it was an absolute pleasure to talk to him. Please come back. Make sure you're subscribed directly to the Nakedly Examined Music feed, even if you're hearing this through the Partially Examined Live feed. It is my fervent wish that I should not have to put this in that feed in order to get all the downloads we need for the advertising. So please spread the word to your musician or music-loving friends that this is a very good place to learn, to be introduced to, to really immerse yourself in a most likely new-to-you artist. We have covered so much ground in these 200-plus episodes. I'm so grateful to be able to do this, to present these folks to you. If you enjoy the show, I hope you'd give me some support. You can go to patreon.com slash music. I would love to hear from you. You can message me through Patreon or just use mark at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. For instance, if you want to suggest a guest, maybe suggest yourself as a guest, or I'd just love to hear any comments you have about the show. Hope you're doing well. Keep on musicing. Until next time, this is Mark Lentemeyer signing off.